Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravina. I'm joined by the lad who likes feet, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? <laughs> Hello, what up? I just want to say so that everybody knows that Ravi was sitting here for like a few seconds before the podcast, really thinking about what he was going to alliterate uh, lad with. So good job. It's it's not that easy, man. Yeah. I'm feeling the pressure out here. <laughs> yeah, I also I also wanted to say so last episode that uh, we released, uh, we were talking about Violet Evergarden and I mentioned that I had been watching Clannad and I got to Clannad after story and I just want everyone to know that that shit fucked me up. <laughs> shit fucked me up. Like I was watching the really emotional second half of it. And I'm not going to lie. I was crying. I was sitting in my room by myself in the dark. Just crying. Watching Clannad after story. So you, you did text me. Actually, during the first the first segment of it, you were like, all right, man, this is like, I'm, I'm just really waiting for after story out here. You get to after story and you're like, holy shit, what is, what is yeah. going on right now? I, I'm feeling things. That's exactly what happened because the cloud is so long and yeah. you can just see it setting everything up to just absolutely wreck you in yeah. the after story and it wrecked me. It wrecked me. So if you want a good cry, if you want to feel things, then fucking go watch cloud after story. I, I really wish I could say the same about you, you show, but it's more <laughs> face palming. So yeah, not here, quite the same. Here thing. we are. Um, all right. But let's get on to today's episode. Uh, so in today's episode, Yanni and I are going to talk about Makoto Shinkai, one of the most successful anime film directors of our time. We're going to discuss some common themes in his movies and duke it out as we give our top five Shinkai films. So let's get into it. So Yanni, we know that many directors define a style for themselves through their works. When we talked about Watanabe, for example, we said that he's known for blending genres and timelines. When we think about Miyazaki, we think about his ability to place himself in the mind of a child and create incredibly emotional and imaginative works. In the same way, when you go to go see a Makoto Shinkai film, what are you expecting to watch? Yeah, that's a good question. I think two things sort of really come to mind when I think about Makoto Shinkai movies. The first is the animation. When you go to see a Makoto Shinkai film, you're likely going to see very good looking animation, very nice looking landscapes. He's really a director that that takes his time uh, and pays attention to detail when crafting the world that his characters are going to live in. And these are often realistic, but the shots and the landscapes that he uses are some of the nicest in anime. I think most people can agree that the visuals are really, really top notch. Mm -hmm. That's 100% for me. When I, when I go to watch one, you know, no matter, this is the thing with him. A lot of people know him for saying his, his movies are visual fluff or his plots just aren't as well developed as his animation. And, you know, that may be true. Uh, we'll discuss some of these elements later. But regardless, if you're going for pure entertainment factor and just to be awed by the quality of the animation, you can see that in every one of his films. Yeah, and especially in the later films, that's, I think, gotten very refined. Mm -hmm. the, the sort of second element I think you always see in Makoto Shinkai films is some sort of romance. So you're always expecting typically a male and a female lead. There's some slight variation on this throughout his films, but honestly not that much. So there's usually some main relationship dynamic between two characters, and that can be more or less affecting depending on, you know, the exact setup and, and the exact film. And, you know, we'll talk about most of his movies. So we'll discuss which relationships works for us and which for us, which don't work for us. But yeah. in general, you're going to see nice animation. Things are going to, you know, take your breath away visually. And then you're also expecting hopefully some kind of uh, impactful romantic relationship. Absolutely. 
Yeah, why don't we talk a little bit about Shinkai as a person? You know, where did he come from? How did he develop? How did he become the animator that he is today? So do you want to start off? Yeah, so I think it's good to just give a little bit of background on on his life and his career, just so um, people have an idea before we delve into his movies. So Makoto Shinkai is from Nagano. Uh, he studied Japanese literature, uh, and he had a pretty deep passion for manga and anime and novels early on, which makes sense as a literature student. That's kind of what you have to do. His favorite anime films I read in an interview are from Miyazaki, so things like Castle in the Sky and Nausicaa, uh, and from Anno, so Evangelion, End of Evangelion specifically, and I think the Rebuild movies are some of his favorites as well. Uh, and I think both of these make a lot of sense when you sort of try to contextualize yeah. the movies that he's made and the themes that are in his movies, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like some of his movies come very, very close to the elements that we've seen in Miyazaki. A lot of his movies come close to the kind of what is going on in terms of plot elements that we see in Evangelion. Um, but, you know, he, he's combined them, but he's also, you know, risen above them to create his own style. And I think, you know, when we say he's a very successful director, that's what it takes to be a successful director. He's created his own style for himself. Yeah, I know. I mean, you can definitely see the influences from these directors, mm -hmm. but the style is is very distinct in, in a lot of ways. We often hear that he's sort of the quote unquote new Miyazaki. And I thought it was interesting that he also mentioned in an interview that the comparisons uh, of himself to Miyazaki by other people are an overestimation. Mm -hmm. I think that's like pretty humble and kind of makes sense as someone who is like a huge Miyazaki fan. I'm sure it's a huge honor to be sort of dubbed the the next Miyazaki, but yeah. he also wants to distance himself from those comparisons, which makes sense for such kind of such a legendary director. Yeah, I've read that interview and he was just straight up like, yeah, when people compare me to Miyazaki, you know, you can never be another Miyazaki. There's only one. And the closest you can come is being, you know, a second, a second Miyazaki. But I'm not even that. Like, I don't want to be that. Um, and, you know, that makes sense. When you're following in the footsteps of a giant like Miyazaki, developing your own style is really the only thing you can do. And thankfully, he has done that. Yeah, if he if he were to be just a sort of copycat of Miyazaki, that he probably would not be as successful as, as he is today. Maybe maybe a quick tangent. You know that Miyazaki's kind of a dick, right? Yes, yes. Okay. This is right. what, this is pretty well documented, yeah. Okay, just just confirming because I I was watching that video with my roommates again where he just walks out of his son's the premiere. The one where he just roasts his son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Huh. I I thought Miyazaki would be a really nice guy. Just he's, yeah. he's created like some great movies, you know, and just Yeah. It's pretty, I mean, never meet your heroes, right? That's what yeah, they you say. Yeah, you can put himself in the mind of a child. Like, oh, man, he must be just a great guy. He's yeah. sitting out there fucking smoking a cigarette in the, in the audience being like, yeah, I should have I raised my kid differently. He wasn't ready yeah. to make his own film. For people that don't know, his, his son also mm -hmm. got into filmmaking and had the debut for his first movie, which is actually pretty good. Um, like, it was received pretty well. It wasn't yeah. like some disaster. And at the premiere, obviously, Miyazaki was there. All the press was kind of focused on him because he's so famous. And this dude just fucking walked out of movie <laughs> yeah. theater. Like during it was, movie. It was literally doing a filming of his documentary. It was like a documentary yeah. about yeah, Miyazaki. <laughs> forgot and, that. And, yeah. And and they're following him. They're like showing like close-ups of him. And he's like, I think, I think he's sitting with his wife like in the actual theater. He's just fucking sitting there and he's, he has his like hat on. He has his like Fisher's hat on. He just at one point just stands up, walks outside. They all follow him outside and he's just like mumbling to himself like, ah, I, it's too early. Should not yeah, let him do yeah. this. Like, can you, can you imagine being his son and like 
your whole life living in the shadow of this filmmaking giant and probably yeah. hoping for his, you know, acceptance of <laughs> your blessing, films yeah. and your art. Yeah. And at the biggest moment of your young career as a filmmaker, this dude leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you see the uh, the post movie like he's he's trying to leave the building and people are coming out to him being like that was good right it was very good they're like clapping for it and he's just like fuck this shit dude and just yeah. walks out <laughs> oh my god in contrast i don't i mean i don't know much about shinkai personally other yeah. than what i've read from a few of these interviews but he seems like pretty standard like i yeah, haven't yeah, heard yeah. like terrible stories about him so you know maybe maybe we got a filmmaker here who's <laughs> not a huge ticket yeah yeah all right so uh, he worked early in his career at a video game company doing video clips and graphic design for them, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. And his animation career really started at the same time that he was working at this company. So he started off with a five-minute monochrome piece called She and Her Cat, uh, which won a few awards uh, at an entry-level anime competition. Uh, this was around 1999. Well, the movie came out, the mm -hmm. short film came out in 1999. He won the award in, in 2000. Did you watch it? I did not see it, did you? Yeah, so I saw it. I mean, it is it is an early rendition of his work. I mean, it's just yeah. interesting to see what the early works of a director are. And like, yeah. it, it's it gets kind of hard to compare it to what it's evolved into because it was so young. Um, but the point is, it's just a, a short film about uh, the relationship between a cat and her owner, just through the perspective of the cat, though. And, you know, it... it it, it does remind me of the kind of like childishness of, of what it is to submit like a short film or like a yeah. short movie and just see like these these like small length animations. They're usually fun to watch. And, yeah. and it was just a fun thing to watch. Yeah. It's only like five minutes long. No, definitely. I, I should go do that after yeah. uh, this episode. So this was followed up by uh, concept art that he created for Voices of a Distant Star, which came out in 2002. Um, and so while he was still working at this video game company, he partnered with another company to eventually develop and release this concept art uh, into a movie. Well, Voices of a Distant Star is like 25 minutes, so yeah. another sort of short film. And so releasing this film allowed him to quit his day job and, and pursue animation sort of full time, which is what it seems like he wanted to do. Um, I want to talk about Voices of a Distant Star because I actually watched it, but maybe we'll save yeah. that for uh, when we start talking about the common themes in his movies. Yeah, we should, we should save that for a bit. Um, I think you're going to have a lot of thoughts on it. So Yeah, yeah, I do have a lot of <laughs> thoughts on it, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. All right, so this is sort of followed up by the rest of his filmography, which I'll just kind of run through very quickly, but of course we'll talk about most of these movies in depth. So Place Promised in Our Early Days came after that in, in 2004, Five Centimeters Per Second in 2007, Children Who Chase Lost Voices 2011, Garden of Words 2013, Your Name in 2016, of course, and Weathering With You in, in 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, some quick notes, so Place Promised in Our Early Days won many honors, which is very helpful as a young director if, one, if your first sort of feature-length film actually is, yeah. is well-received, which place promise gnarly as was uh and then of course your name shattered every single fucking box office record ever uh, as the highest crossing anime film of all time so actually beating out uh spirited away uh mm -hmm. of course this was just until the demon slayer movie came along this I year mean, that but was just incomparable that yeah. just destroyed the box it destroyed office. destroyed everything but you know in 2016 your name really was the demon slayer of of that time so Mm -hmm. That was sort of what I think many people in the West and many people globally found out about Makoto Shinkai was through your name. That's how I discovered him as well. Yeah, I mean, his his rise to fame was really pretty meteoric after a place promised in our early days. And I think it did place a lot of pressure on him probably to do something like five centimeters per second in his follow up works. I think he even took like a short hiatus between like five centimeters per second and Children Who Chase Lost Voices. I read that he like moved to London or something. 
Uh, yeah, I think he like moved to London and then he eventually was like, okay, I should probably go back to, to Japan and, and, you know, start working again. It, you know, I think he is still relatively young and there's still a he long is. career ahead of him. All right. So do you want to start us off with talking about some of the common themes in his movies before we jump into the specific movies now that we've just sort of outlined the, the sketch of his career arc? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talked about animation, uh, we said that his animation is spectacular. You know, it's awesome. It's kind of jaw dropping at points. And there are a number of elements that allow it to be so. I think the first one that comes to anyone's mind when they think about a Shinkai film is how hyper realistic it is, especially with his more recent works like Your Name or Weathering With You. I so I watched uh, Place Promise in our early days very recently, and Yanni I know is like an avid photographer. He loves taking pictures and like loves exploring the world and like photographing them. Yeah. And as I was watching this, every literally like ten minutes in this film, you see this the shot of the yeah. sun in the train station as gigantic lens flare. Yeah. My guy like, loves a lens flare. <laughs> he does. He does. And and it's just. When you think about animation, right, there is no actual camera. You can think of the imaginative like perspective that the director is yeah. showing you the movie from, but there's no actual camera. So having a lens flare in a movie doesn't make sense other than to make it hyper-realistic. Um, so, so even though it wasn't necessary, Shinkai chose to do it nonetheless. Um, I just you, you mentioned this is also true in his other films as well. Yeah, you see a lot of this kind of throughout his movies. It's it's the J.J. Abrams tactic. J.J. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Abrams loves himself a lens flare as well. You can see this in like all of his movies. So, you know, it's a stylistic choice, but you're right yeah. that it really lends a lot of credence to the, the hyper-realism. And he's mm -hmm. obviously, you know, doing it on purpose to create this effect. And mm -hmm. I mean, I think it works. Like, we, you know, we kind of have noted, uh, and I think most people would note how the hyper-realism makes his films visually stunning. And mm -hmm. Shots with lens flares and, and sunsets are nice. <laughs> you know, they're just like visually appealing. And that, that's what it's going for, right? Absolutely. And then I think the other aspect to his hyperrealism is that his urban and just geographic um, locales that he creates in the animation are based on reality. So this type of urban or like rural realism there's so much effort put into drawing cityscapes, urban life, the clutter. When we're watching Weathering with You, just the, the the panoramas of Tokyo and seeing just the buildings there, the signs. You can actually read the signs. You can see the stoplights moving. And the, one of the the you know most fulfilling aspects of watching a Shinkai film is you can watch the film. And if, if you're in Japan, you can actually go visit the areas that were that were so influential in creating it that they were based off of. Um, I was just reading the five centimeters per second uh, wiki, for example, and they're just like showing, okay, this was the train station yeah. that they filmed it in Iwafune. Here's the high school in Tanegashima. And then like, here's the train crossing in Tokyo where all three parts of the film take place in. Yeah. So I think this is like sort of a, a cultural thing where people will actually go to the locations Definitely. that inspired the film. Yeah, I mean, and you can just tell the amount of detail that is put into the backgrounds, especially is pretty high compared to most anime and even most anime movies that we see that, you know, have better production schedules and a little more time and budget to like flesh things out. Even with that baseline, he, I think, goes above and beyond. The other thing that I think is worthy of noting here is sort of the connection and contrast between rural and city life that's present throughout many of his films. So you have this like hyper-realistic, urban, cluttered setting contrasted uh, with 
more nature landscapes mm-hmm. and rural Japanese life. Uh, and I think that's also a very, very clear derivative of Miyazaki's influence because Miyazaki does this all the time, talking about mm-hmm. environmental issues and clash between nature and, and human society. So that's a very clear influence as well. I think there's definitely going to be a segment later on devoted to comparing and contrasting him with Miyazaki. Oh, um, yes, there will be. <laughs> so, so we can definitely talk about this more then. I think you're totally correct. And the place where I've seen that most clearly is going to be either Your Name, where there is literally a dynamic because the guy is in Tokyo and the girl is in rural. Um, but we've also seen it in many of his other films. You know, when we, when we talk about the rural life especially, there's such a focus on nature in his films. You know, like I said, you, you talk about that in the rural setting. When you see it in Your Name, you're just seeing the, the landscapes. You're seeing, for example, in Children Who Chase Lost Voices, you're seeing them exploring a completely new world underground. And just the, the panoramas you have of the world and the scenery and the nature and the animals is just beautiful. More recently, though, I think what he's known for is his water dynamics in garden of words in your name in weathering with you just the water the precipitation the storms they all lend themselves to this really awe-inspiring animation because him and the animators put so much effort into the motion and the reflection the intensity of the water Um, and the characters moods are so linked to this to this nature um, and to the weather I think this is a really good point to make, and especially because thinking back to our 2020 anime review episode, we talked about Aizuken and how that whole show is just a love letter to, to animation and the care that gets put into animation. And there's this one scene in there, which I, I don't remember if we talked about this specific scene or not, but there's this one scene where, I, I forgot her name, but one of the characters is obsessed with creating hyper-realistic motion. Mm-hmm. And there's this flashback scene where as a kid, she her grandma, I think, like, throws tea out of mm-hmm. their out of their house kind of just to get rid of it into the yard and she becomes fixated on how the tea spills out of the cup right yeah she becomes like fixated on like what is the arm motion required to do that how yeah, does the cup exactly. tilt? how does the water fly through the air yeah. yeah and so she repetitively kind of throws the tea out and observes it and then that is sort of paralleled with her animating water scenes in the anime that they're creating and Mm so i think water is a very good representation of attention to detail and care and animation and animating something like water movement in a hyper realistic way is really tough and so that is really reflected in some of makoto shinkai's words like i'm thinking specifically of garden of words and weathering with you are very rain heavy movies in different ways Mm -hmm. uh weathering with you is like you know much larger scale water movement and, and weather patterns and garden with words is much more intimate and everything's in this little garden during rainy season. Mm-hmm. And so in those two movies, I think especially you see how much care and detail is put into the movement of water, whether it's in rain or on, on a much larger I scale. just I can't imagine the amount of time it takes animators to do that, considering how much detail needs to go into you know, the physics of water moving to make it look realistic. When it's done poorly, it is immediately obvious that this is just fucking awful water. Yeah, you see it immediately. I mean, obviously there are certain shows and movies where it's a stylistic choice to make things not look realistic. But if you're looking at rain or water movement and the physics look off, like our brains are just programmed to see the physics correctly because it's, you know, we're so exposed to water movement and embedded with uh, an intuition for physics. And so it just like doesn't make any sense when it looks wrong. Uh, And I think to Makoto Shinkai's credit, he, he captures that really well. 
This is why I think people are worried about the uh, new MAPPA water polo anime that's coming out. They're just I like, didn't even know there was a MAPPA water polo anime coming yeah, out. Yeah, they're making a water polo anime. That that sounds dope. I'm into that. But like the, the 3D CGI that they have combined with water, this could either be like amazing or this could be an absolute fucking train wreck. So people are like, how is this going to happen? Yeah, I mean, there are just like elements of animation that are in yeah. a story that are just notoriously tough. Like horses is, is another one where it's just like, for <laughs> yeah. example, part seven of Jojo's has a fuck ton of horses. Like everybody's on horseback literally yeah. all the time in the manga. And so everybody's like, is this going to get adapted? Like, are they going to have to CGI every single horse? Like how yeah. is this going to work? And it's just because though, you know, even horses kind of like water have a lot of intuitive physics and are just really hard to animate from frame to frame to yeah. make it look realistic. So it's definitely a challenge for for animators. You mentioned that a big component of your viewing experience for Shinkai films, what you're going to expect when you're watching a film is that there's going to be a relationship primarily between these male and female protagonists. So I wanted to talk about that. Yep. I wanted to talk about the characters and the relationship development because these are key components of Shinkai's films. Every one of his films has a complementary male and female protagonist whose distance fluctuates throughout the movie. And that distance is both in an emotional sense as well as in time and space. And time is an incredibly important aspect of Shinkai's works. Many of his films take place not just over the days or the hours or the weeks that we see in many movies, but over months and years of time. And that's relatively unusual. And it's it's because it's so hard to pace a story like that and show that development over years without it being jarring. Um, and I think that's why he's a master of showing the passage of time. Yeah, he's very, very good at this. Um, and this is really hard to do. Uh, we were talking, I feel like I'm referencing past episodes all the time, but <laughs> yeah. we were talking during our winter 2021 episode about Horimiya. And mm -hmm. we didn't get to talk about the ending of Horimiya because obviously that was after we made the episode. But the, I'm not going to spoil here, just by the way. But uh, in Horimiya in general, time passes a lot, mm -hmm. especially because they took the entire manga that's pretty long and has a ton of slice of life elements and, and condensed it into the 12 episode run mm -hmm. and some of the scenes there are really jarring because mm -hmm. you certain developments happen between characters or something happens to a side character that's supposed to be emotionally impactful that you should care about but you feel like hey like these characters like just confessed like recently or just got together like recently or just discovered their feelings like literally two episodes ago mm -hmm. and now you're supposed to sort of buy into this further development that is in reality supposed to be like a year later or six months later, but there's not a lot to demarcate the passage of time in there. And so the point is that this is just really hard to do in anime and there's a lot of times where it goes wrong and Makoto Shinkai is very good at this. And I think it makes a lot of the relationships in his films better. And it makes them feel real because real yeah. relationships take time and take like, you know, it, it occurs over usually a large time frame, And, you know, these, these, I value that aspect in anime a lot. It seems like the shows that can do this well just often end up being more mature um, because you see the relationship develop over a long period. It becomes more realistic. I just I just find that as an aspect of Shinkai's works that I like, but just generally anime that I like. Yeah, I completely agree. We should also talk about the differences between time and space. I mean, you mm -hmm. mentioned that time is a really big element in his in his movies. He's good at portraying the passage of time he's also i want to say he's good at playing with time so some of his movies you know do interesting things with time that we could talk about how successful or not successful they are when we get to those specific movies talk, we should talk about pacing i do have some issues with his pacing yeah because i think it's it, 
it's 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 usually done very well. But the thing I want to note here is that how contrasted it is with the passage of time, because his movies all have this like calm ambiance that are very contrasted with the the months and years that are passing. Uh, often, you know, if, if you were to look at like a graph of how intense his movie is over the run of it, usually you see like a peak at one point. There's usually like one often moment of intensity. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm just laughing because that was such a scientist thing to say. Like, let's, pl- <laughs> let's plot the passage of time as a function of emotional impact in his movie. <laughs> hey, man, what can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but we often have this like one intense moment throughout the movie. <laughs> now I'm gonna keep thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does go for those emotional, you know, climactic moments yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't know how he, what the process of him, you know, plotting out his movies is, but it does feel like sometimes he does build around the the climactic moments and fill out the rest of the story for sure. with those in mind, which is a fine creative process. But I do agree that sometimes the pacing can be jarring. Sure. So you want to talk about space? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about space and distance. So obviously time and separation through time is is a big feature of his films, but also distance. Like his characters and, and the main relationships are sometimes separated by physical space. I mean, thinking about just your name with the contrast between someone living in Tokyo and someone living in rural Japan or thinking about five centimeters per second where you see the years go by, but also the characters are physically separated. And so this is a driving force for a lot of the relationships in his movies as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think one way to classify it um, now. Now I'm going to be thinking about how this is like scientifically relevant <laughs> the entire time. Um, <laughs> I think I think at least I've been when I was watching Shinkai's films, I would often end up kind of subconsciously placing them into two broad categories. You have those films that have supernatural or magical elements, and those are usually on full display in the second half of his films, if, if you really watch yeah. them, um, especially his more recent ones. And you have those other films that don't, are just very realistic, and those ones more focus on the interpersonal relationships. So... In the films that do involve the supernatural, characters often find themselves interacting across dimensions or even across universes. Like we talk about in Weathering With You, where the characters literally have to pass through a physical gate to move between the human world and the spiritual world. Um, We see that with Place Promise in our early days, where the female protagonist becomes trapped in a different universe, basically. And the main character has to wake her up to get her out of this universe. In his you know, more realistic, more interpersonal films like Five Centimeters Per Second or Garden of Words, the space between protagonists can be just as short as a few feet away on the bench um, when they're sitting next to each other in the in the garden, in the gazebo. Or it can be as far away as cities in Five Centimeters Per Second. The entire film is focused around the, you know, d- dissolving and loss of relationships because of distance. I think that's very important. It plays a big part in his films. Yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, one last thing we uh, should talk about is the sense of looming disaster that uh, embodies a lot of his his recent films. So I also noticed this, noted this when uh, I sort of plotted out the last segment of the podcast. We're going to talk about what's next for Makoto Shinkai. So we'll come back to this as well. But Shinkai stated himself that the earthquake in 2011 in Japan was a big turning point for him and had an influence in his recent films, such as Your Name and Weathering With You. And so he is a director that takes what's happening in real life and in the world and sort of embeds that into his films. 
I mean, the, the anime industry doesn't exist in a vacuum. It is very, very influenced by what's going on. Art in general doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Exactly, exactly. And so when interpreting it, like, you know, we're trying to do here, it's important to know that Shinkai himself has said that there are many elements in his works that are influenced and his mindset is influenced by this perception that Japan may soon have a significant disaster something may significantly happen in the future and he's always thinking about that when he's making his films and we've seen that very clearly like weathering with you the disaster at the end of that movie is just completely changes the landscape of tokyo and you know if, if billy is listening to this some of the works in in the first issue of jams talked about this like for example the work about wolf children talked about how disasters have influenced wolf children how it's changing the nuclear family and how so many japanese people are constantly worried about this aspect of their lives yeah i think that's totally fair and good to note i mean thinking about if you were to be living in Japan where there's always the possibility of kind of a natural disaster happening just because it's, it's an island that would inevitably impact your mentality and, and your life. And I'm thinking even on a much smaller scale, I grew up in Seattle and people, we haven't had an earthquake in a really long time. People mm -hmm. always talk about in Washington state that like, oh, Washington state, the West coast is like overdue for an earthquake. It's like mm -hmm. going to happen soon, blah, blah, blah. Hasn't happened yet, thankfully, but that's always a little bit in the back of your mind. Like, what does that happen? And I actually moved to Seattle kind of right after the latest big earthquake happened mm -hmm. there. And so I can only imagine when it's on a much larger scale and actually has happened more recently to people in Japan that these natural disasters strike and cause a lot of destruction and loss of life, et cetera, that this would inevitably be something you're, that's on your mind. So you got to live in New Jersey, man. Nothing ever <laughs> happens in New Jersey. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's the other problem with New Jersey is that nothing ever happens there. <laughs> got him. <laughs> All right. I wanted to quickly just talk about Voices of a Distant Star. Did you watch Voices of a Distant Star? I have not, actually. I was up till 2.30 watching, uh, whatever the fuck it was, Children Who Have Lost Voices. Or <laughs> Children Who Chase Lost Voices. <laughs> Children Who Chase Lost Voices. <laughs> this is like the end of our thing. Every time we get to what is it place promised in our never days or like in our early days in our early days okay <laughs> i'm gonna call that promise neverland every single time and i like literally I, every time i hear promised i'm just like okay it was something about promised <laughs> that's fine just call it promised and children and we'll be good so uh okay so voice of a distant star we talked about is the 25 minute short film that he made right before his first full-length feature film and i think if you're a makoto shinka fan or if you've seen other of his movies i think it's really enlightening to go watch it it's not good so <laughs> wow. like, be warned that it's just straight up bad mostly because there's it's a very early makoto shinkai work and there's a lot of cgi elements in there which this came out in like 2002 so you know there's like the cgi is not good and it's not well blended and all the themes we talked about are basically on display you know a relationship between a male and a female protagonist landscapes the lens flares it's like everything mm -hmm. is there but it's compacted down into a narrative that's trying to be told in a, in a 25 minute uh, segment so the pacing feels all off and all these things but i do think it's very enlightening because you can sort of see him coming up with an early iteration of what i call the makoto shinkai formula and i i do think it's it's worth a watch if if you're into any of his movies you're telling me that you can't condense a full movie into one anime episode i am telling you that you cannot <laughs> <laughs> so we had like a two hour long discussion about this yesterday we're not going to get into this today, no we're but... not going to rehash our discussion about anime movies versus <laughs> anime series we'll save that for like a hot takes episode where we just debate shit yeah i don't know why they're all my hot takes but <laughs> well i don't know <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what does that say about me, I guess? All right, so let's transition into talking about the, the specific movies themselves now. So let me just outline how this is going to work. First of all, spoiler warning. For the rest of the podcast, we're going to be talking about details of the films and talking about spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movies and you don't want to be spoiled, we already had to like edit out in our uh, <laughs> Gateway Anime episode. where Time travel, Ra- baby. <laughs> yeah, where Robbie spoiled the ending of your name. So... <laughs> Get out of here if you don't want to be spoiled. Uh, well, it's a little late because I just spoiled time travel again. Well, so. what I would say is if you care, go watch the movie and then come back. And so how this is going to work. So we each ranked our top five of his movies. Uh, we're going to go through these in inverse order. And whenever someone names a film, uh, we will have a full discussion about it. And then if it pops up later, then we'll just kind of recap why one of us placed it where it was, but not have the, the full discussion there. So that's how it's going to go. Why don't you give us your number five movie first? We'll talk about that. Sure. So my number five is Garden of Words. So let me, should we have this discussion now about how I'm not a big fan of Shinkai's films? <laughs> yeah, uh, now it's fine. <laughs> okay. All right. So that, that's not strictly true. I, just, I also want to say that Robbie's the one who suggested doing this podcast now. So like, it wasn't <laughs> even my idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay. I love Shinkai for what he does with his animation. I love what he does with interpersonal relationships. I do not love what he does with his magical and supernatural elements. And Garden of Words at number five for me is an example of one of the films that I actually really liked. It was an interpersonal relationship film throughout the first like nine tenths of it were so good. I just, I love them sitting together in this little park. You know, the, 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 the silence between them says so much more than the words they're actually speaking. And your relationship is developing so much. And then he done fucks me over with the fact that she's his teacher. And yeah. now they have to decide what's going to happen. I love yeah. you. And then it's, it's just, we're going to talk about this in a second, but oh my God, that's why it became number five for me. It's just an example of how even with his interpersonal relationship films, like there are often these underlying issues with plot, with the, the development of the characters. And this is, this is a general issue with Shinkai that I'll explain more and more as we go along this discussion. Yeah, so I had this at, at number four personally. Let's let's set aside the teacher-student thing because that's sort of the big problem for me too. But I, I do want to have like an actual discussion about it and try to yeah. piece together why it's there at all. But let's talk about the, the good parts of this movie first because I actually do think there's a lot of really good aspects to this film. So yeah. I think in, in one interpretation, you could say that this is arguably Shinkai's most beautiful film, which I really think is saying a lot for him. There's a certain calmness about it and that there's this depiction of the rainy, rainy scenes in this beautifully animated garden that's just so visually appealing. So I think this really is, even amongst a master of making things uh, visually aesthetic, this is pretty high up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think the dialogue is also very good. You mentioned that there is a lot of silence, and I think Makoto Shinkai makes really good use of that silence to say a lot about what the characters are feeling about Mm -hmm. each other. And the dialogue that he does choose to selectively include in there is very deep and very telling. And it's a lot about the teacher's 
past and how she's been sort of bullied at school and how she needs to overcome that. It's a lot about the boy who feels that he is lacking connection with other people and wants to be a shoemaker. And mm -hmm. all of these, the, the themes in the movie and the dialogue in the movie, I think, are very good. You're right. I mean, th that's all true. One thing I will say is that Shinkai is very, very good at showing introspection within characters. Yeah. And I think he's doing he, he's done that probably better than many movies and, and many directors I've seen otherwise. Uh, we'll talk about this in five centimeters per second. I think five centimeters per second is the best example with a character that has no dialogue in basically the entire first third of the movie. You just see the anxiety building within them as they're going along, as as they're sitting on a, a desolate train. In Garden of Words, you're seeing this like, this this comfortable separation between these two characters as they're sitting together in this park. The guy is scribbling in his notebook. The girl is drinking beer and eating chocolate. You know, when I think about myself, if I were placed in that situation, I think I would be like, I would feel very awkward if I'm sitting with another, like one other person just a few feet away and I'm trying to do whatever I'm doing and they're like, doing whatever they're doing. I don't know them, but I'm like... Yeah in an intimate setting sort exactly. of slowly learning a little bit about them it is it is uncomfortable and Makoto yeah. Shinkai does a good job at portraying how uncomfortable yeah he does, exactly at the beginning they're just like you know there's like furtive glances the guy's trying to figure out like why why is she eating chocolate and drinking beer like what what is going on yeah. um he wants to like hide the drawings that he's making in his notebook from her even though he doesn't really know her and then you're just waiting like there's a tension building about who's going to speak first who's going to talk first yeah. but when that relationship starts developing and he starts showing that over months of time you, you can see how comfortable they are with each other so quickly totally agree another thing that i want to talk about is that makoto shinkai often embeds the theme of his movie or a lot of meaning into a specific object in the film and so he does this in other movies that we'll talk about but here specifically he does this with shoes so the boys this shoemaker who that's what he's scribbling his notebook right like these designs mm -hmm. for for shoes. The thing is, he's he's looking at the girl's feet the entire time and being like, yeah. I'm going to use her foot as a model for the shoe. You do, you think I was just like, you think <laughs> at the beginning of this episode, I just said feet for no reason, bro? <laughs> I actually thought you did. I did not make that connection at all. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, wow. That was, you're playing 3D chess out here. <laughs> but I do think that the choice of shoes is very interesting. So on the one hand, it's very clearly serves a plot purpose. He's, you know, he designs shoes and he ends up falling in love with, with this girl who he wants to then design a shoe for to show his love that like mm -hmm. tracks in, in the plot. But shoes are also very important in Japanese culture, right? You take off your shoes whenever you go anywhere that shows that you belong there, that you feel comfortable there. It's just like the custom. That's what everyone does. And so there's also sort of this interesting theme of you know, this teacher who doesn't really fit in gets bullied, this boy who doesn't fit in, and the fact that they're connecting over shoes, uh, a symbol of sort of feeling comfortable and going out into public spaces or into other people's homes, I think is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so do you want to talk about the student-teacher relationship, how that kind of ruined it for you? Let's do it, let's do it. So <laughs> this is, what do I want to say? Why okay. did it have to be that way? Yeah, okay, so that's... Okay, I'm going to first say why I didn't like it, and then I'm going to try to justify it by playing devil's advocate. So let's let's do this exercise. All right, this is going to be spicy. Yeah, so on the surface level, there's this really nice relationship between two people who need each other, connect in a very intimate space. It's a very contained movie in the sense of their relationship and the fact that everything goes on in this mm -hmm. little garden. So all that, I like. 
And you're aware, okay, you're aware there is an age difference between them. You're aware the there's an age difference. Yeah. I think that that age difference plays into it for sure because of the fact that even though there's an age separation between them, you can see how many parallels there are between these characters. Both of them are very quiet. As I said, they're introspective. And as you see over the progression of time, they're becoming comfortable with each other, but they're also just blooming as as characters themselves you can see both of them developing which is interesting because you would expect the the younger the boy character to be developing a lot faster just because he's younger but no you also see the girl coming out of her shell a little bit they never discuss their past they never really reveal anything about themselves but they do live in the present and they're able to show that they can develop as characters and form relationships that they can't form outside of this little enclosed area when they go back into the real world you can see how awkward they are but here in this one spot you can see that they're i mean it's very clear that he loves her yeah and i think what i was thinking about is that while watching this movie is that you almost don't need the student teacher relationship i think like if you take this exact movie and just made it at two people the same age who fall in love it almost functions like 95% exactly the same yeah. and would have personally worked better for me. But they don't even need to be the same age. Like you can, you can have her be older. It, it, you know, it's a nice element to see it. Like, you know, older people can also experience this kind of loneliness and isolation. Yeah. Why did she have to be his teacher? <laughs> yeah. I mean, both the age difference and this occupation hierarchy is unnecessary. And I don't really... While first watching the movie, I didn't really see the point that Shinkai was trying to get across by purposely yeah. including that. I'm going to try to defend it really quick, and then you can roast me. <laughs> what, I, what I think he's going for is that there is an exploration here of a completely taboo relationship, which I think is supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. And the idea that I think he's going for is that, especially in Japan, there's a big emphasis on, you know, fitting in and, you know, not doing anything taboo. And so I think that he's trying to purposefully include a relationship that is complicated and shouldn't exist. And yet it helps these characters kind of overcome their difficulties and experience connection with someone else. And so you're supposed to feel conflicted. And hopefully I think he's trying to push a Japanese audience to be more accepting of relationships that are outside of the norm. That's what I would say he's going for. I think it okay. doesn't really come out in the film as well as he would have liked but I'm, I think I'm being, that's the angle. Okay, I'm definitely being a little facetious. Like, yeah. I, I am being hyperbolic when I'm saying, okay, this is actually ridiculous. Um, yeah. I, I do agree with you. I think he is trying to show the humanity of characters. And that's something that he's done really, really well. I also wanted to talk about that aspect when we inevitably discuss weathering with you, because I'm sure we both have it on our lists. Yeah. But the humanity of decision-making there's something beyond our choice when it comes to who we fall in love with. Yeah. Right. And he doesn't, the boy doesn't know this is his teacher. Like even, even if it is, even if he did know it, the development between them, it shows how organically they're actually falling in love. She's not his teacher, right? She's a teacher at the school. She's a teacher right? at the school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, them falling in love organically. The one issue I actually had with it, like besides the fact that it was this relationship was, the immaturity of the guy on the scene in the stairwell when she basically says this can't work after so so he professes to her he says yeah. you know i love you and the reason she was kicked out of the school and the reason she has so much emotional trauma from her experience as a teacher is because other kids in the school 
had set up this this theory to the school that she was in a relationship with another student, even though she wasn't. And they were basically using it as a way to bully her out of the job because they were jealous of her because I think she was like good looking or something. And so she is already she already has a lot of trauma around this student teacher relationship. And to see it then, you know, she does like him and he likes her. But when he professes, she just doesn't know what to do. And you can see her like shock. You can see her like eyes just widening and the silence developing. And then he basically just runs out of the room. He's in the stairwell. And then she's like sitting there, like actually starts crying. And it's like such an emotional moment. And then she decides, you know, fuck social norms. I'm going to go find him. She finds him in the stairwell and he loses his mind. And... The, the things he says, uh, you should, you know, I'm not going to ruin it here because you should watch it to see the, the you know, when we talked about impact in a movie and impact in Shinkai's movie, this is the impact moment in the movie where he like loses his mind. Yeah. And that moment, I think, on one hand, it shows his immaturity and I can see what Shinkai is trying to do by showing, okay, this is a young boy. He's like grappling with the fact that this is a forbidden relationship and trying to figure out should he be like, you know, agreeing to it or not. And like, he is so emotionally, tor- like he's in such emotional turmoil. But the way he handles it, I'm just like, I, I know what you're trying to do. I little, just don't like cringe, it. Bro. I just cringe, don't bro. like it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It reminded me of uh, like uh, we've talked about in ReZero how Subaru is like purposely super immature. And there's like that scene where he like Amelia's like, don't do anything crazy. And yeah. then he's like at this royal selection and he's like, I love Amelia. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be your knight. Uh, you're not a knight, my boy. And she like gets mad at him because she fucking told him not to do it. It reminds me of that kind of yeah. immaturity. I do think it makes you uncomfortable. I uh, pretty much agree with everything you said, but it is the emotional climax of the movie. It is affecting and conflicting in a certain way, which, I mean, that you can say about most Makoto Shinkai movies is that yeah. they bring out some emotion in you, whether you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I w- wanted to say really quickly before we move on to the okay, next movie, okay. um, how do you feel about the ending? Because there's that scene in the stairwell and then there's like that post credit scene where it's sort of purposefully ambiguous about whether the characters get together later in life or not. I was I was debating, yeah, I was debating whether we should talk about it or not. If if we're going to talk about it. Yeah, I was sitting up until the like the last scene. I was sitting up and just being like if he doesn't fucking give these shoes to this girl, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> if it ends with her just moving away at the end because she was planning to move away already, if it just ends with that and there is this entire progression throughout like the middle half of the movie where he basically tells her, okay, I'm making shoes. Can I use your foot as a design? I'm going to make these shoes for you. If he didn't deliver those shoes to her, I was going to fucking lose it, dude. <laughs> and 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 the implication is that, you know, he does deliver the shoes to her, but that doesn't allow for the relationship to progress anymore. He fulfilled his promise to her, and, and that's really it. But there is the, 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 the one hint left that he's like, when I get older, I'm going to go find yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant by the ending being purposely ambiguous. And yeah. I actually kind of like that. I typically like it. If, if the ambiguous ending of a movie or a series is set up well to where you can take your own personal experience with how you interpreted the movie, think about it, and then sort of think about what makes sense to you about what happens after the movie ends. I, I usually like that in films. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually okay with how the ending and all the post credit scene went. I I did not want them to have that open door. I kind of wanted some some. You wanted it to be closed. To it. Yeah. Uh, you want all the answers given to this you is, in this the This is an issue, dude. This is an issue I have just repeatedly with anime. Is that like, I've already been burned so many times by the go read the manga ending that I just want finality. I just yeah. want it to be done. 
I mean, the difference the difference here is that it's purposefully not. Like, it's purposefully there's not, open. Like, there's not yeah. like source material you're lacking. You're literally yeah. that. This is just the point, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's like a very Inception style. Like we don't know what's going to happen now. Yeah, it's possible that it could be doing this. Um, Dude, I love that shit. I love like theorizing about endings of like Inception and stuff like that. that that's yeah. that's my shit. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's All right. move on to my number five pick. Uh, so at number five, I had Children Who Chase Lost Voices. This movie is a very, very clear, overt love letter to Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli. And I watched this movie last, like I watched it maybe two mm -hmm. days ago. And there are just, I was really struck by it. And it made Makoto Shinkai's career make a lot of sense to me. I never understood why he was called the new Miyazaki. I was like, his movies have some elements and mm -hmm. he's very popular, so maybe that's it. But when I saw this movie and realized it was pretty early on in his career, I was like, oh, this movie yeah. is very clearly just has so many parallels to Castle of the Sky, to Spirited Away, to other Ghibli movies. The protagonist is literally like, pick X female protagonist from a Ghibli movie, and yeah. you have it. Even the art style looks very similar. This whole going to explore a different world, the the monsters that are in this world, like the, I don't, I forget what they're called, but like the, the guys that look like little humanoid, ruined yeah. guard type shit. I'm like, this looks like, every monster in castle in the sky like they yeah. look exactly the same it had very it had like very strong elements of nasca and very strong elements of mononoke like yeah. you could see all of that yeah and so i seeing this movie i i didn't love it personally and we can we can talk about why but i do think it's the most clear contextualization of why he's been dubbed sort of the next miyazaki uh, i really want to point out i think this is where Shinkai really realizes his strength in telling interpersonal narratives because this movie is sort of about interpersonal narratives, but actually not really. It's mostly mm -hmm. about this exploration of, of a fantasy world and, and mm -hmm. what the characters want out of that fantasy world. And five centimeters per second came right before this. I think it's important to note that movie is hyper realistic and all about yeah. interpersonal narratives. Then we get this movie that's a fantasy movie and doesn't have that much interpersonal narratives. Mm -hmm. And then every movie after that, Garden of Worth comes after, but then every movie after that is has way more emphasis on the personal narrative aspects and much less on you get fantasy elements in all of his a lot of his films, don't get me wrong, especially yeah. Weathering with You and and Your Name and stuff like that, but not so overt to the point of like going to explore a fantasy land yeah. in the way many of Studio Ghibli movies work. And so I think this is really where Makoto Shinkai realized like, okay, I can make these movies, yeah. but my my strength is in telling romantic relationships and embedding some supernatural elements into those when not making them the emphasis of the movie. That's what I okay. think at least. So this is this is where we're going to diverge in our opinions because I have Children Who Chase Lost Voices as number two. And it's really high. Th th it's really high. And the reason, okay, you have to contextualize this in the fact that I said originally that Makoto Shinkai is not my favorite director. He's not mine either, to be fair. I like his movies more than Ravi, but he's not my favorite. Yeah. So... The reasons you said you did not like this movie as much, the fact that it is just purely an exploration of that fantasy world, um, whereas as more recent ones just kind of dabble in that and use that as a, a plot device to kind of facilitate the interpersonal relationship. That's actually the reason why I dislike his more recent films, and that's why I really like Children Who Chase Lost Voices. In this film, it is a very clear exploration and a very, like, it, it's very focused on an adventure. 
They're going to be exploring this world. You're watching them explore it. The magical elements are there to help build the relationship and to kind of facilitate them growing together. All right, why did I have his number two? And why did I not like Makoto Shinkai's other things as much? I will say, first of all, that I love watching magic elements brought into a hyper-realistic world. Like, that's such a cool concept. But the thing is, it's really hard to do, and I do not think that Shinkai does it well. And that's why I don't like Your Name and Weathering With You as much. And that's why I really like this. Because the, he didn't make the, the... He didn't, you know, try to kind of push magical elements into an already existing world. He just said, let's explore a a completely different fantasy world and that's going to be the focus of it and i love those types of adventures i really i i really do like that stuff i do as well i think my my big issue with this movie is not the fact that it just explores a fantasy world that in in theory is fine what mm -hmm. i don't like is that i just don't really like the fantasy world like i think the fantasy world is almost too realistic like sure there are like a, there are a few monsters but otherwise all the buildings are like very clearly derived from like aztec culture and like other yeah. cultures that exist in reality which is fine every fantasy world draws from something mm -hmm. in real life but it felt almost too realistic and not very well fleshed out like they visit one town and then just they just like get to to the resolution mm -hmm. and it felt like a little bit of a missed opportunity to create a really immersive world i think my other really big issue even bigger than not really vibing with the fantasy world is that I don't like the characters in this movie literally <laughs> at all. God. I think the development of the characters and some of the plot lines are super lacking. Mm -hmm. For example, the protagonist, what does the protagonist do? Does she do <sighs> anything out of her own agency? Yeah, she, 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 I think she does because she does decide to follow the guy into this world. Okay. She didn't have to do that. I was going to say, even that scene is hilarious because she's getting pulled into, he's physically pulling her into the fantasy world and he's like, are you sure you want to go? As he's physically pulling her, if she had said no, there was like no time for her to choose to not go. She's literally getting dragged. Into but I think the, the that, okay, so that's, that's the first segment. That's where she's like first pulled into the portal. But there is, there is a, a turning point where he's walking into the water and he's basically telling her, you can go back. You don't need this crystal. You can just leave. And she's like, no, actually I want to continue on. And it's ambiguous. The thing I liked is it's ambiguous about what she actually wants to do there. Right. It's ambiguous. It's ambiguous what she wants to do there because, okay, to, to sort of backtrack a little bit, the, the whole point yeah. of going to this fantasy world is that it, it's sort of a representation of the underworld and there's the potential to bring people back to life. Oh my God. This is just a straight up Hades, Persephone, like yeah, just yeah, yeah. straight up based on Greek mythology here. Yeah. yeah and, and we talked about this, this other person that she's with. So her teacher is also traveling to this world to bring back his lost dead wife. Mm -hmm. uh, and she the protagonist has lost her father in some unnamed way. But she also lost her, her the, the first character that I think she actually, you know, felt a relationship yeah. with around her age. Um, yeah, she met someone from the underworld in, in the real life that died. And so she's also, so you don't know if she's going to save someone, if she's going to save her dad, or if she's going to save him. I do think that's cool. But again, her background with her dad, not explored at all. And the whole climax of the film is surrounding the other, the teacher, trying to bring back his wife, and she doesn't even make a choice. She doesn't do anything. But that's the thing. Okay, so I will say this is another example where the male-female relationship is on full display. However, the cool thing about this film, as opposed to his other films, is that the development between her and the teacher is just as interesting as the development between her and Shun. 
Shun's development with her, so Shun is another character in the underworld. He's like the younger brother of the character that she originally met. Yeah, so I mean, as, as, as a quick explanation, there is this entire underworld where, you know, people do live there alongside all of these other more supernatural animals. Um, and they're afraid of and very unwilling to interact with people from uh, the outside or topsiders as they call them because they're in the underworld. And as a result, you know, be- because a lot of the underworld has been raided before, um, you know, and, and has-, has been the subject of many wars that in- were initiated by topsiders. And so Shun does not want to interact with her. And she already feels this relationship to him because he reminds her so much of his brother. So you're just like, okay, this is a very interesting kind of like dynamic relationship between the two. On the other hand, she's following the teacher because she like has an adult in her life and she doesn't know what to do or what to explore. And I think that's really cool. I I, I don't think that movies necessarily need their main characters to make all of the choices within themselves. I'm fine following a character throughout the story, even if they're not necessarily making a lot of choices. Like, you know, I think the a great example is like Frodo in, in, in the first Lord of the Rings. Bro, he makes like one choice. He makes the choice to like, I'm going to take the ring. He doesn't do jack shit for the rest of the movie. Man, are you really comparing the development throughout the trilogy of Lord of the Rings movies to children who chase lots voices? <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying, again, I'm not a big fan of Shinkai's films. However, the, the, the protagonist doesn't need agency to make it a great film. I, I mean, I, I do agree with that overall. I just feel like at the end of the day, this movie is honestly more about the teacher than about the protagonist, yeah. which is yeah. also fine. But there are a lot of plot lines and, and aspects of the main character's personality, even about the teacher's personality that I think could have been fleshed out more. What I will say sort of in defense is that I think it's actually a, a problem with a lot of Ghibli movies as well. So I know people love Howl's Moving Castle. I personally do not like Howl's Moving Castle. Really? Because I, I think that it makes like no favorite, sense. I think, that is my favorite Ghibli film. <laughs> I think the uh, Howl's Moving Castle adapts a novel that is much longer. Yeah. And I think it suffers. People love it. That, that's fine. Go ahead and love it. I just think that a lot of the character relationships, the development, the plot lines make literally no sense. And this is sort of the same thing here. So I don't think this is like a uniquely Makoto Shinkai problem. I think that actually, if you rewatch a lot of Ghibli movies, they also have some of these elements that are problematic for me, but might not be for other people. And maybe that's just why I didn't connect to this movie as much. But I think if you're looking for something that is sort of a modern sort of shadow of uh, 90s fantasy anime, then you're probably going to like it. It's just a fun adventure. I mean, again, it's a fun movie. It's not my favorite, but it's fun. I, I ranked it at number two, and I think that says a lot about yeah, uh, my does. ranking. <laughs> but, uh, All right, shall, shall I move on? All right, give uh, us your, yeah. your number four pick. Whew. All right, my number four pick is Weathering With You. And I think that's really high on your list, right? Uh, it's number two on my list, but I, okay. I was very conflicted between two and three. So Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So here's, here's where I'm, I'm going to go rant mode a little bit. Yeah, fine. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So like I said... I love watching magical elements brought into a, a world. It's a reverse isekai, basically. I love isekai. <laughs> I love reverse isekai. Um, and, and I love fantasy, okay? And it's such a cool concept because you get to see how these magical elements will relate with existing elements in, in our world that we can interact with. And it gives us a be- an ability to better relate to what's going on in the world because it's a part of our world. The issue is 
It's an extremely difficult concept to execute, and it's usually because of scales. In, in Shinkai's films, it often ends up being a disparity between scales of individual relationships and global events. And so what often happens in his movies is it feels like I'm getting invested in, in, in characters in the first half, which is the part that I love. I love getting invested in characters and the relationships. Only in the second half of the movie for it to go fucking off the rails when this magical element is introduced. And I think that's what happened in Weathering With You. So Weathering With You is a great like story about this girl who has the ability to basically control weather. And what happens is there is a young boy. He essentially runs away from his town and he goes through a series of different um, interactions with a number of people. He's like a delinquent, basically. He is basically a delinquent. And like the, through a series of interactions and, and relatively poor choices, he ends up meeting this girl that can control weather. He literally meets her ordering at McDonald's, McRonald's, exactly. McQuanalds, whatever. Yeah, exactly. One of them. One of them. Right. And so. You're like, okay, man, this is this is going to set up a really cool character dynamic and she can control weather like that's really cool. How is this going to be explored? Oh, my God. And then it goes fucking off the rails when she's just like, yeah, actually, my ability to control weather is slowly dissolving my body. And okay, you have a choice. So basically, I'm a human sacrifice. And if I die this rainstorm that's constantly happening in Tokyo right now will stop and all of humanity will be saved. If I continue living, what's going to happen is Tokyo is going to go fucking extinct because it's going to go underwater, okay? And this guy who has developed this relationship with her now has to face this conflict, as I mentioned, between his interpersonal relationship with her or a globally catastrophic event. So what happens is in at the end of the film, this is why I say Shinkai is really good at showing the humanity of his characters, because if I were in that position, I would have a tough time doing it. If I loved someone and they say, you can choose me or you can choose all of humanity. Okay, I, I'll think about that for a little bit. I don't know what I would choose, but it's really infuriating to see him choose the girl. And the how does he how does he save the girl? He fucking jumps through a portal on the roof of a building and like goes into an alternate dimension in the sky and like saves her. It, it sounds crazy. If I tried to explain a Miyazaki film, I'm sure it sounds just as crazy. But at, at the end of the day, what happens is, you know, this is also prominent in, in Place Promise in our early days where they have to choose between this girl or basically the entire earth being developed yeah. or in, like going into an alternate universe. The, the egocentric decisions that, that Shinkai shows is great. The issue is just when the characters make that decision, he can't go any further. He cannot, like, the, the, movie, the movie ends basically with Tokyo getting flooded, and you're just like, okay, well, see you, Tokyo. And <laughs> he can't really go any further because an exploration of that, that catastrophic event is just not possible. He just doesn't have the space or the time or the ability to show what's going to happen. And I just, that's the thing about his movies I don't like. And the same thing with Your Name. Yeah, so I, I can understand where you're coming from. I will completely admit that the explanation of how the supernatural elements that are invoked in Weathering With You with... Hina and her powers and how that how that's resolved and even the concept of Musubi in uh, your name as well. I agree that these are not very well fleshed out concepts with good rules so that you understand exactly what's going on. I think I'm going to like 
Can I like be your therapist for a second? I, <laughs> yeah, I that think, was a long rant. Sorry yeah, about that, I listeners. Think, no, no, that's fine. I think what's I think what your issue is is that yeah. when you go into something like Children Who Chase Lost Voices, it's completely set in a fantasy world. So you're more willing to be to basically invoke your suspension of disbelief and just let whatever happens in this fantasy world happens without analyzing too hard what all of the rules. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? Like whenever you watch a fantasy film, for me, something very, very important is that the the world and the dynamics in this world and the rules of this world are explained up front, because if they're not, anything can happen. Literally right. anything can happen. That, that's why I hated like Game of Thrones, for example. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I just think that yeah. that's even more emphasized when the supernatural elements are brought into an otherwise realistic world where you need those defined even more if you're going to interact between a pure fantasy world and exactly. uh, and a yeah. human world. You can't just turn your brain off and say, fine, whatever happens in this fantasy world happens because you've seen a bunch of realistic shit throughout yeah. the entire film. So I think I think that's really where your I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but that's why I'm saying right. like he, he often does this in his movies. I just don't think it's executed well. The, the, you're right. There is that difference. This is the first time where I do want to compare this with Miyazaki because what Miyazaki does is he uses the magical elements to deepen characters' relationships. And the magic is there really just to serve the fact that there are characters and those characters need to explore this world and make connections and and deepen the relationships. And there's also a very clear message in Miyazaki's films. Like when we talked about him, you know, even in the intro when I said Miyazaki is known for getting himself in the mind of a child, but also a big part of that is his themes are very upfront. They're very in your face. Like, you can't watch a Miyazaki film without being like, okay, Mononoke is about eco-conservatism. You know, Howl's Moving Castle is about anti-war themes. So you see those upfront. Whenever I watch a Shinkai film, I'm just like, what is what is the message here? And yeah. and the, okay, and and I I know your rebuttal is going to be a movie doesn't have to have a message. That no, this no, is just I, that's my that's not going to be my rebuttal. <laughs> okay, well that's that's what a lot of like I I can imagine talking to like my friends who love art, who especially love like yeah. contemporary art. Art doesn't need to have a message. You know, people can interpret it however they want. Whenever I watch something like an anime, though, I want it to have that like overarching message. That that you know, all of that aside. I will still continue watching Shinkai's films um, because of the entertainment value. The outstanding visuals and entertainment are enough to make me come back for Shinkai's films. It's just hard for me to come away from it afterwards really, really enjoying the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I don't think Weathering With You especially has a any strong message to send. I do think that the point that you're making about people saying, okay, a movie doesn't need to have a message, a lot of people will say that. And they're right in in a certain sense, right? Like, if you just want to go see a visually stunning film with uh, a climax, uh, a relationship between two characters that's pretty well done for the most part, like, you're going to like this movie. And for all those reasons, I did like it. But I do think that Makoto Shinkai, yeah, he doesn't really have a message in this film. And what he's really going for is you getting invested in the relationship between these two characters i guess there's yeah. a little bit for the for the protagonist uh there's a little bit of like growth and coming out of a shell and all of these things that are kind of typical in these movies but i completely agree with you i guess the reason i enjoy this movie is because of all those other elements and i sort of go into it not expecting like a deep it's like when you go see like a marvel movie i'm not expecting anything deep in a marvel movie Damn, man, you're telling me the fucking Avengers <laughs> no. didn't like make you question your humanity? <laughs> no, it did not. I'm just, like, I'm just going into it because it's going to look great. It's going to make me feel emotional towards the characters. I like the characters. That's sort of the same thing with 
Makoto Shinkai movies, but I'm going in for the romantic investment in the romantic relationships, right? And I think that's why Weathering With You works for me, even though I agree with you that the themes in it are, are not super strong. I'll just say a few things, other things about why I liked it. So I do think, so I, I kind of mentioned every reason why I liked it, but I do think it, that you can make the argument that it's just a slightly worse version of your name. Uh, and we'll talk about this more as, as we wrap up, but I think the, set, the central relationship is less affecting for me than it is in your name. But I think sort of Shinkai successfully cranks up the use of natural elements, which he did a little bit less in your name. And especially, you know, the motif of rain and weather, which we already talked about with, with Garden of Words, is, is really on, on absolute full display here. There's a real mastery of, of the physics of, of water. I think that's most of the things I want to say about this movie. I have, I have a quick story about weathering with you. So I, Maybe. yeah, so I, I might've mentioned this already on the podcast. I can't remember, but I was traveling for work when this movie came out. I was in, uh, in the UK actually. And so usually when I, we live in New York, usually when anime films come, they, they usually come to New York. I'm, I try to go see as many as I can, unless it's like a continuing series that, that mm -hmm. I haven't seen, but I try to go see all of them if I can to support the industry. And because watching, movies and theaters i think is a really special experience that i i really like going to theaters yeah. and so i was really bummed when i had this work trip and i was like wow anime movies only get a, a limited run so I'm, I'm just gonna miss it like it's not gonna be on when i when i come back even though weathering with you got like two weeks which is like a lot for an anime movie and so i was on the trip in london and we had all these all these events for work and i had one free evening the last evening of the trip and i was like huh yeah wonder if weathering with you is playing in london <laughs> obviously, obviously it is so finished up everything with work, went, ate some nice fish and chips, and <laughs> <laughs> then strolled into the movie theater and watched Weathering With You in London. So Damn, how could this be a more British experience? I know. I'm not even the biggest Shinkai fan, but I like seeing anime movies in, in theaters. And so I was like, yeah. if this is playing, I'm, like, I'm not going to miss the experience of seeing that animation on a big screen. And, you know, it was great. Okay, two more really quick things about this, this movie. Very, very small details. One is the Your Name cameos were crazy yeah. like people audibly like gasped in the movie theater that i was in how did they recognize them i did i did not even recognize them before you told me the first time yeah i can't believe you didn't recognize them because it's literally the two protagonists i just i uh, maybe i just wasn't paying att enough attention to the character designs they're not just like in the background well at least taki is not the, the yeah. guy the lead from from your name is not just in the background like he literally has lines and everything the the girl is in it very briefly but they're both in there and it's also cool because if you know your name then it's like it's that segment after all the main events happen where they both live in tokyo but haven't reconnected yet yeah like the end of the movie suggests so it's cool i don't really know why it's there other than for like fan service like i don't i don't know if this is like some grand makoto shinkai universe plan happening here but i guess those, it was, those it are the was fun cool things see. you see yeah though. it's fun I, it's just fun you, I think you fucking lost your mind when I told you, like, wait, these these characters were in this movie? Yeah, no, definitely. Another very, very strong aspect of the movie is the soundtrack. Like, Rad Wimps are just, yeah. they knock, Rad Wimps plus Makoto Shinkai together is usually fire, and it happened in your name, and it happened in Weathering With You, and both those soundtracks are on a playlist that I listen to a lot. They're so good. Very, yeah. very good soundtrack. So I, I think that's another element that we have to at least mention quickly. Yeah, I really do love it when just, like, one band is set up to do the entire soundtrack for a movie when daft punk did the soundtrack to tron tron wasn't even that good a movie no but, that but the daft dope. punk soundtrack was so good all right uh so you just gave your number four yep um my number four was garden of words where 
talked in depth about it, so we'll skip it. Why don't you give your number three? Your name, baby. Oh, boy. <laughs> is that your number one? That is indeed my number one. <laughs> so let's uh, let's let's talk about it. All right. So, I, I mean, I, I basically already gave a lot of my qualms with his magical realism. Um, so why don't you talk about what you really liked and didn't like about your name? Sure. So I think, personally, that your name is pretty much the absolute best iteration of a Makoto Shinkai film in terms of taking this sort of Freaky Friday concept, combining it with romance, the dichotomy between rural and urban Japan, few supernatural elements, which we can debate the, the effectiveness of, but all those elements together yeah. and the time travel aspect as well. It's basically taking everything Makoto Shinkai is known for, the Radweb soundtrack, the beautiful animation, mashing it together into, for me, a film that really, really works. So in my opinion, this is basically the best version of a film Makoto Shinkai can create with the current sort of style he's going for. Mm -hmm. I think that really shows up in Weathering With You because Weathering With You is good in my opinion, but it's just not as good as your name. It's, and a, it it's another, yeah, it's another rendition of the right. Film, it tries basically. to do yeah. the exact same things that your name does with some slight variations here and there, and it is good and just not as good. And I think if you're combining all these elements, Shinkai's kind of reached the pinnacle, which we'll, we'll talk about at the end. What, what I wanted to note is that every non-anime watcher that I've showed this movie to has really liked it. I mean, that's kind of obvious because of the global popularity of, of the film. But I think it is a film that people can get pretty invested in, even if they've never watched anime before, because it does avoid all of these tropes and other things that, that we've talked about before. So that, that I, I find valuable as well. Yeah, I think you're completely right. I mean, Your Name is a really, really good film. And for entertainment value, I think it's second to none among his, his films. Anyone can go into that film, whether they're an anime lover or not, and just find something that they connect to, whether it be the stunning visuals, the character development, the symbolism of like connection between the two. And I think the time traveling twist, I at least did not expect at all. I was trying to figure no, out the entire time. I was trying to figure out the entire time, like, are these two characters just separated in space? Like, yeah. how are they talking to each other? So the, the entire premise is their body swapping. And but they're kind of randomly, they're not always yeah. just living in each other's bodies. Exactly. Like they, the two main characters, Taki and, and Mitsuha, just switch bodies kind of seemingly at random yeah. and they experience life in each other's shoes without ever having actually met by like, you know, yeah. and they write each other messages on their arms and send each other text messages and all these kind of things. And I think that's so cool. Like a lot of yeah. us can relate to that. Like it would be so cool to sometimes swap bodies with somebody else and just see like what is their World lifestyle. Their eyes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And especially because these two characters have such different lifestyles because yeah. one is in the city and one is in rural japan and i think that it is a very clever way so like in freaky friday you know it's it's mostly played for laughs right like it's this mom yeah. daughter kind of swapping bodies they do get closer because of it but yeah in in your name it really serves the purpose of developing this romantic relationship and i actually think it's a pretty interesting way to say yeah if you like lived in someone else's shoes would that you know, allow you to understand them on a deep level that you would develop feelings for them. Like, I think that's yeah. pretty interesting. I think it's a relationship between two characters that probably would never have otherwise met, yeah. never would have otherwise developed a relationship had it not been for this kind of supernatural occurrence. And the, the I think this is one way, uh, w one time where Shinkai's time development, like the amount of time it takes for the movie, it's over the course of months again, right? 
And just the little details he puts as the time is developing, like the times that they're, you know, writing notes to each other so that the person, when they wake up in their original body, will read it. When they when they give each other their number and they're texting, you just see time progressing and them, you know, kind of growing up and growing, developing their relationship. I think that's done so, so well. This movie is also quite funny. The the moments when they're body swapping and, for example, yeah. Mitsuha is in his body and like trying to help him on his date with a yeah. co-worker. So she's like going on these dates and the co-worker who's like super hot is like really into him because he's like very talkative and like feminine yeah. and, you know, all yeah. these things. And then he like swaps back into his body and has to go on a date with her and he's like trying to get advice and he like completely bombs the date and eventually kind of realizes it's because he likes this other and girl, she's honestly. like wait we're like why did you seem like a different person the yeah, last time we right. met and the other way around like Nataki's in her body and Mitsuha like isn't the coolest person at her school makes her into like the coolest person at her school yeah. and she just comes back and just like why do I have this much attention like what yeah. is going on yeah or like the scenes where she she's she's like dreaming of eventually being able to live in a, in a big city because she's from such a small town and so when she first swaps into his body and she's like with all of his friends and they just like go get food at like a cafe she's like oh my god i'm ordering everything on the menu like yeah. i'm taking all these pictures i've never been yeah. to a cafe with so many oxford it's so cool yeah. so there are pretty funny moments in in the movie as well i'm gonna guess that your issue with it again is the the supernatural element so do you want to talk do you want to maybe recap <laughs> why you didn't like specifically the supernatural elements here yeah sure 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 so again it, it the time traveling aspect the twist in it was awesome i i really love the twist i did not expect it at all the issue is that it really felt as if that twist was kind of contrived and really unexplored mitsuha's entire background is that she's essentially somehow connected to like this this spiritual ability to swap bodies like it's it's passed down in her lineage so like her family members eventually figured out that she must be swapping bodies and she didn't know it was happening so that's not explored at all. We don't know like what this meant for any other past generations. At the end of the film, basically, the, t the, the body swapping aspect is just a ploy to try and save Mitsuha's village, which gets destroyed by this comet um, that I think breaks up and crashes down on the village. Yeah. And so in the moment where they're like touching each other at the top of like that volcanic rim and you're like, um... What timeline are we in? Like, how are they interacting? Okay, I'll completely like, concede that that moment is contrived purely for them to, like, have this emotional moment with the comet flying, like, yeah, beautiful yeah. landscape on top of the, the crater, like, near yeah. where her, like, you know, the the location with uh, sort of supernatural significance to, to her family. Yeah. I 100% concede that that's contrived <laughs> for the emotional climax. That, we're not going <laughs> to argue about that. I just, yeah. And the the one nice thing about this film is that, you know, like Interstellar, when I watched Interstellar with me and my roommates, at the end of the film, we were kind of like mind fucked. And we were just like, we got to talk about this. Like, yeah. what happened? What was the timeline? And, you know, there's movies where I can talk about it and like a movie because I talked about it. And there are movies where I talk about it. And then as we're talking about it, I realize I have no idea what the fuck just happened, and how it's possible. And that's what happened with Interstellar. And I feel like that's what happened with Your Name for Me. And there are moments in the film that I feel like Shinkai uses the body swapping and time travel, but it's not well thought out. No, I was going to just say that I, I do agree that the timelines and the body swapping, if, if you, once you discover the twist and you go back and retroactively watch the movie, time travel always gets messy. Like there are very few yeah. media where 
time travel is done really well and the rules are clear and it makes sense. Look at this you, is why Steinsgate Steins is Steinsgate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is why Steinsgate is so beloved in the community because it does yeah. something that's so difficult to do perfectly. It nails it. I think inevitably when you do a time travel story, unless you're very, very clear on how it's all going to work, it, there's going to be some messiness when you watch it back. And I don't think your name is an exception to that. I think a lot of people have problems with the concept of, of Musubi and like you said, the, the body swapping. So to give some context, Musubi are basically just like supernatural spirits, like in a life force that's sort of passed down from generation to generation. That's sort of housed in this location on top of a mountain. that's very important to the village and, and to Mitsuha's family. I want to defend this a little bit. I, I agree that it doesn't fully make sense and track throughout, but I think in a lot of Japanese anime you get stuff like this in a lot of Miyazaki movies you just get like a life force or something embedded that doesn't have to be explained I'll give I'll give an example outside of anime so Star Wars Star Wars movies four through six the force is doesn't the force isn't explained it's just this binding force through all of life kind of like Musubi is honestly and it lets you do some crazy Jedi shit, basically. <laughs> like, nothing is ever yeah. explained. But there are limits. There are limits, at least. There are yeah. limits, of course. But when yeah. you get to the prequels, they oh, yeah. try okay. to explain it with, like, no. midichlorians and science. And yeah. that shit no. sucks. Like, no one wants that. Leave the Force as something ambiguous and supernatural. And so, while I do get, like, oh, Musubi doesn't really make sense. What does it let you do? How does it impact your family? How is it passed down? I get it. I totally get it. But I also kind of want to say... If it was fully explained with facts and the logic, it might make the movie much worse and bog it down. And that's why I'm kind of okay with just like suspending my disbelief and just saying, okay, life force lets you do crazy body swapping shit mm -hmm. and her family can figure it out. And that's, yeah, I think, that's, okay. That's so I, I will agree. That's fair. You know, when, when I'm talking about why I put it as number three, I said, your name, your name honestly is number one in terms of must watch. And everybody should watch this film. It is just an incredible film. It's visually appealing. It took over the community and, and yeah. sort of went global. So you should watch it if you haven't watched it as an anime. Absolutely. Fan. I just... It's always hard for me to go into a film where I know that the, the directors and the writers could have put more work into developing a more, you know, rational storyline or just a more tight storyline. Like I can I can suspend my disbelief to say there's body swapping. And I think that's such a cool element to this to this movie because, like I said, it allows the characters that would otherwise never have met to develop a loving relationship. I just remember the ending. I think the ending is the best ending I've literally seen in almost all of anime. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote down that we should talk about the ending. The okay. ending is super emotional. Like you're left after this climactic moment wondering if Taki and Mitsuha got together, yeah. if they who was saved, are they gonna reconnect? And you get this really long, drawn-out scene where you see, like, uh, Mitsuha's friends are, like, about to get married, and they move to Tokyo, and that's, mm -hmm. like, really cool. And you see Taki just, like, kind of wandering Tokyo. Clearly, like, doesn't have exact memories. just feels like something is missing. Same thing with Mitsuha. And then they see each other on the train, which is a callback to the very beginning of the movie, and meet on the stairs and then the title drops and you're like, ah, oh, that's why it's called. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. It's and then the last question is like, what's your name? That's literally the last line of the entire movie. And you're like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, because they've gone through this whole journey together, body swapping, falling in love, saving each other, blah, blah, blah. And then 
they've lost these memories, so they don't know their, each other's names, but they feel like they've met before. And so that the part, okay, them. even though I, even like I did knock the, the segment where they're fucking interdimensionally touching on the volcanic rim, yeah. but the segment where they're like, they, they somehow realize that they're going to forget all of the shit that like is happening. And they tell each other to write their like names or numbers down on their hands or their, their names yeah. on their hands. Yeah. And Taki ends up writing like, I love you instead of, you know, his name. I was like, damn. That 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 hit. I was it's like, like that I really did hit, but at the same time I was like, Brad, you gotta write your name. <laughs> yeah, yes. Homie, you gotta you gotta tell her who you are. <laughs> yeah. We should also mention Brad Williams soundtrack again. Yeah. Fucking sick. Go download that shit right now. <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you just named your number three. Uh you're named my number three. Yeah. You're you your nature number three. So I'll I'll give my number three. Which actually I think the last movie we have to talk about, so we'll talk about it and then we'll run down our our lists uh, to the end. So my number three was five centimeters per second. I like a lot of things about this movie and it was a really tough call between five centimeters and, and weathering with you. So I'm just going to say that I could have switched the order of these. I think I'll try to explain why. So five centimeters per second is about three short stories that focus on a long distance relationship. So there's these pair of childhood friends that have deep feelings for each other. And towards the end of the first story, the girl moves away and so they sort of realize that their relationship is distancing and then you follow the characters especially the the male as they age uh and eventually you know go to college and stuff and how they're still getting over this sort of lost uh relationship i really like well i like a lot of this movie and i particularly like the first narrative in this movie i think it's really good i think the central theme about how you have to learn to let go sometimes and how that's really hard is good. I, again, I like the concept of taking three different narratives and using the, the motif of, of distance in, in both a sense of time and a sense of space to show how these, these characters grow apart. All of that I think, I think is good, but how it's executed, I kind of wish the first third of the movie was the whole thing. <laughs> like, I don't know if you feel that way at all. Um, I kind of do feel that way. It's Okay. I do and I don't. So this is, to, to, to lead off, this is my number one. Yeah. Um, this is kind of my undisputed favorite among Shinkai's films. And it's because it doesn't include any of the magical realism elements. Yeah. Um, it's basically just an interpersonal story that's broken into three short segments, as, as Yanni said. And it shows the story of the boy growing up and all the relationship he's losing along the way after he loses his first relationship. And so I agree that the first one was the best one just because of everything that we've we've talked about so far. It builds up the anxiety. So in the first, uh, let me just give a brief synopsis, yeah. right? Um, so it, at the opening scene, there is an elementary school boy and girl, and they just end up really liking each other. They became very close friends, but her family ends up moving away because of her parents' work. And so now the only way they can communicate with each other is through letters. And so one time they mutually agree that he's going to come visit her. And why the parents would have let this fucking infant yeah, go know. on the train alone They're in like the middle of godforsaken right? nowhere. Like, yeah, exactly. Maybe middle schoolers, I don't remember. But. Yeah, but still, okay. So what happens is this is in the middle of winter and the train gets delayed because of snow. And so as, as time is passing, and we've said this so many times, Shinkai shows the passage of time so well, you're just seeing the anxiety grow within the boy and you're feeling the same anxiety of like, 
oh my god, I'm so late to see her. Like I, we had set up this meeting. Uh, there's like, no what communication. If she doesn't wait? Like, yeah, yeah, what if she doesn't wait? There's no communication. How, what's going to happen? It, it's like pitch black outside, and he gets to the train station. And she's still there in this like tiny little station with like nobody else there, just like a warming stove. And it's like, it's so beautiful to see these like kids just so animated and excited to see each other and talking late into the night. And then like, it's very clear that he loves her. He had written a letter to her to basically tell her that he loves her and lost that letter along the way, along the journey. And in the parting moment in the last scene of this part of the movie, you see them leaving, but you also get the sense that they both realize that their relationship is not going to work out. And the way you see that is because she has also written a letter where she's probably confessing her feelings for him, but doesn't give that letter to him. Yeah, I think it's super affecting and the sort of motif of things going unsaid and not being fully explored because you're realizing the sort of circumstances that are going to impede yeah. this relationship from uh, progressing are very very good and that's why i love and really adore the first part of this yeah. movie second and third parts i think when it's focusing on the main character and sort of his struggles to get over this love on the one hand i think are very good i think the relationships he develops outside of this central one because that's sort of what happens in the, in the second and third parts like in, in the second part there's this girl who, who at his new I think middle school high school whatever has a crush on him and kind of wants to confess and eventually sort of senses that he's still getting over someone else yeah. and so she doesn't i think that relationship is kind of weak it's just it hard it's hard because it it shifts the focus from the guy's perspective to the girl's perspective now and the, the reason i say that you know i, I think it's pretty undisputed that the first part is the best part. Yeah. I think that the, the the reasons that the second and third parts are there is to show and to get people to relate more to the fact that there are other relationships that you still have, even though you've lost this first one that you could have that are potential. It's just those are being unexplored. And in the in, in the third, sorry, to just also yeah. give background, in the, in the third part, he now is in, I think, in college and mm -hmm. he has a girlfriend and basically his girlfriend's like calling him. He just like doesn't pick up, he like neglects yeah. her because he's still like heartbroken over this <laughs> childhood. Well, love. yeah, so so I, I will mention that. So, you know, let me say, first of all, I, I think the, the second and third parts show more of the realism of how relationships can develop and can be lost. And I think this is extremely realistic. And that's why it's so effective. This is why the movie is so effective, because we can all relate with it. Many, many people have been in a situation where they've realized the relationship wouldn't work out. And they've had to come to terms with that, like they did in the first part or in the second part. And throughout the movie, you, like the, the, the concept of a relationship growing more distant and you're growing apart from someone that's important to you and you're just reminiscing on what could have been. I think both of us and many, many people have been in that situation where we just ask ourselves what could have been. The issue is this movie, you know, as a ploy, takes that to the extreme. And then the third part, you can really see. OK, so it starts off in the second part where the girl notices like this guy is often just staring out. You know, he, he's not that affectionate towards her yeah he treats her as a he treats her as a like a friend like a friend yeah like a friend but like not as like a you know a lover or like or some more intimate relationship and you can see that he's just it's constantly on his mind and in the third segment you just see the progression of his emotional state and this is a really poignant depiction of how depression can be crushing because the protagonist is really struggling to come to terms with the fact that this is a love that he's lost and how to move on from that relationship i think all of the parts of it just build his character up into this like depression. And the, the final segment is 
so reminiscent of your name, except it's just the exact opposite in the sense that in your name, they're at that train station, they're on those steps and they see each other and they're like, realize that this is someone that I don't know you, but I feel like I know you. Yeah. In five centimeters per second, the, the girl you, you realize in the third segment that was originally the girl in the first segment is there and she's about to get married and they see each other on the opposite sides of the platform. But as soon as they're about to see each other, the train passes by. And they don't interact because of that. So it's like, it's, it's just a nice ploy that you're seeing being used again and again within Shinkai's films. Yeah, I, I will say that I, I'm all for a depiction of lost love. And that's something that's very realistic that a lot of people can can relate to. I'm, I'm totally fine with exploring that, exploring how that develops over time, having a, a sort of sad, melancholy feel about it. I will say a lot of his movies are kind of melodramatic. And this one is like, too melodramatic for my taste. Like, I sort of wish the journey that the girl goes through, for example, that she eventually, you know, moves and she eventually gets married and all these kind of things, that actually seems realistic. Like, you could do all of those things and still think about, you know, your past relationships and and your past loves and what could have been. And if she had actually been the main character or her plotline had been the main driving force, I think I would have bought into it more. I think my main problem with, with the second and third parts is that I really just don't buy that this guy is so hung up on this girl he had a crush on in elementary school that he is like sitting in his apartment in a full state of depression, neglecting his current girlfriend. Like that to me is kind of insane. And I also think this goes back to something we talked about before, which is that anime films, especially and anime in general are often focused on kids. And so I like that this develops into college, but I actually think you could have taken this narrative and had it been like two people that meet in college and then or even as young adults and then develop their relationship and see how they grow apart into their adulthood. And that would have worked really well because I just don't buy that you can have that intimate and serious of a relationship with someone as an elementary schooler that it's going to like yeah. crush your whole life. I, I, I mean, this is generally I, yeah, this is, you know, I feel like this. Yeah, that, that's that's an issue that transcends beyond Shinkai. I think that's an issue with just it is, it the is, entire, is, yeah. you know, industry as a general. I will say that didn't impact me as much because usually when I watch media, I know that it's going to kind of be hyperbole for for what's actually going on. And I could really relate to the kid, especially in in the third segment when I'm just like, I I, I wonder about how not like this intimate relationship, for example, but I just wonder like friends, you know, friends that I've had in high school. I I don't know what they're doing. I think about that a lot. You know, we've grown apart. Just generally as a, as a plot device, I think this is the movie that showed the interpersonal relationships the best out of all of his films. And it it really showed more on this was one of the few works that he had where it showed how instead of coming together, those relationships can draw apart. I agree that I, I really like all that, I like the format of the movie. Yeah. I like the themes of the movie. I basically just wish that they had like taken the, the age span and like shifted it up a certain amount and then yeah. also taken a little bit more time to explore the second and third parts of the movie just in terms of length and character dynamics and maybe checking in on the girl as well and showing that this is sort of a two-sided thing. If the movie had done those things, I think it would have been really excellent for me. I think it's still yeah. a good movie and I still really enjoyed it. But yeah, one of the one of the negatives for sure is that in the second segment, you're like, hold on, this is not from the guy's perspective anymore. Like, yeah. why is this from the girl's perspective? And, you know, I think that was done just to show that she was putting a lot more of effort into the relationship than he was. Yeah. And it was just more dynamic that way. Yeah, I think that stuff that stuff works and 
it's really just for me the the, the age and the time devoted to the second sure. and third segments. And I I mean I was again struggling to put this at, at two or three, and so it's still one of my favorite uh, Makoto Shinkai movies. But I think it really could have been like masterpiece, very very good level for me if it had yeah. just done a few things slightly different. All right, so we actually talked about all the movies, but I just changed my number three. So just round out again. What were your number two and number one picks? Sure. So my number two was Children Who Chase Lost Voices, um, which yours number five, right? Yep. And my number one was five centimeters per second. Yep. And then my my number two and number one were Weathering With You. Again, toss up between two and three here, Weathering With You and five centimeters per second. And then my number one was What's Your Name? Yeah, we'll probably put a graphic up. That, that yeah, we will. We'll put, a, we'll put up a graphic on Twitter and then you can... Tell us who has better taste. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> All right. I really, I wanted to have just a very quick discussion about sort of the future and what the future holds for Makoto Shinkai. So as just a factoid, he's currently working on his next script, um, which is supposed to be a post-apocalyptic sort of storyline. In an interview, he said that he's been heavily, heavily affected by the global pandemic, which makes sense in sort of a post-apocalypse storyline. So Again, this is the theme that we talked about at the outset, which is that he's very affected by things going on globally. I, I think that's good. I like that. I like it. I like that, too. I mean, it's more relatable. It would be weird to see media not affected by the, the pandemic. I also want to get your take on what you want to see next from him, if you have any sort of like a wish list of, of what you'd like to see from Makoto Shinkai. I'll, I'll give my opinion. I, I said that he's sort of perfected his own formula in your name and then made a less solid but still very good iteration of that in, in weathering with you so i think if he wants to he can probably keep churning out well animated and well directed romance narratives with some supernatural elements and these movies will probably be very popular they might not reach the height of your name but they'll sell very well in japan and probably elsewhere as well yeah you said he's making a post-apocalyptic world um i think the best thing would be if shinkai really just you know wrote the next walking dead um, <laughs> it'd be so no, i was kidding um, but i i do i what i wanted to say is that i i don't really see him personally for me at least ever really surpassing what he achieved in your name if he's going for the same formula so i personally would like to see him do something slightly different and explore something else i like when filmmakers take elements that they've done well and repackage them and, and take on a sort of an exciting new project. And I think especially with someone like Makoto Shinkai, who I think has reached a sort of ceiling for me on what he can do with, with this formula, I'd like to yeah. see him try it. I don't know if it'll happen because these movies are so successful and he can probably keep making them and keep making a lot of money. So hard to say, but that's my opinion at least. And I wanted to know what yours was. Yeah, yeah. That's always the issue is that, you know, artists don't really have an incentive to go beyond their previous works if their method works, other than if they want to keep maturing and keep developing their art form. And the nice thing is that most artists do. What I really want to see from Shinkai is I want to see something that goes beyond this mold of this, you know, male-female protagonist relationship. I want to see more of an exploration of just one character developing individually, not necessarily being forced into this relationship. That would be interesting to see. I don't know how he's going to actually end up doing that because, you know, as I've said, the interpersonal relationship stuff for me has been my favorite part, but I've seen so many of them. I, I want something new. You know, I have knocked your name, weathering with you, promise Neverland or whatever it's called, <laughs> <laughs> place promised in our early days, whatever it's called. Um, so I knocked them because they included the magical realism elements, but it's because they included the magical realism elements, but didn't make that 
that didn't make that a focus of the actual plot, didn't explore the themes and the magic going into the world. And I want his future movies to actually do that. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd, I'd like to see him push the envelope. I think especially given how wonderful his, his animation is, I think it would be awesome to see different kinds of stories told with that same attention to detail. We didn't even talk about food, but oh my oh, God, yeah. the food in his movies looks so yeah. good the the garden of words like the tomato scene oh, i think right man and that then, looks oh it looks of man i've never wanted to eat a tomato so badly <laughs> yeah and i just watched I, I just watched children who chase lost voices yesterday and like there's an entire scene where she's making dumplings and like slicing the daikon and stuff like that yeah. and i'm just like that's not how food works in real life but holy shit i wish <laughs> i it wish were. it did yeah yeah so I, I would like to see him push the envelope and incorporate the things he does really well into something a little bit different and a little bit more ambitious. But I guess we'll have to wait and uh, see what we get. You know, no matter what I say about, you know, I, I am being hyperbolic about how I don't like Shinkai. His films are something that I will keep coming to over and over again just because he is pushing the envelope with animation. You, you know, he is setting a standard for how good animated films can look. Yeah, completely agree. All right. I think that's all. We had planned for the discussion today, so hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll likely do more episodes like this where we pick a specific director, a specific studio, and give some top fives and talk about connecting themes and stuff like that. So let us know if you enjoyed this. Our uh, next episode, we're going to be having another guest on, so I won't spoil who the guest is, but we're really, really excited to talk to someone else from the anime industry, so stay tuned for that for sure. You can find us on Twitter at BakaBanterPod, uh, our website, bakabancha.com. Please interact with us there. Follow us. We post graphics. We post uh, little audio clips from, from the podcast. So check it out there. Uh, and then please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get podcasts typically. Otherwise, we've been the Baka Banter Lads, and we'll catch you all in the next one. <laughs>